And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you please open them with me to the book of Ephesians? And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and just two verses this morning, verse 15 and verse 16. And as you make your way to the passage, let me just say a couple of things to you by way of introduction. We have been, over the last couple of weeks, focusing on O. Cutler's new vision, which we, have, as, uh, as the leadership of the church, the elders of the church, the pastoral staff of the church, we have, been, we have been working on thinking about planning out for months and months now. And you will actually see it in case you are, this is your first time here with us today, we have it in the bulletin. It's on the page of the bulletin that uh, has the order of worship. And our vision statement is this. We exist for the glory of God and through the gospel's transforming power, we become agents of truth, love, and service, making disciples for Jesus in our city and world. Uh, we believe that that is a, a biblical vision. It's, it's what we want to be. It's what we want to do as a church. We believe it encompasses the purposes of the church. But something that we've also done is we've come up with these four key words which we are using to help you to find some hooks, some things to grab a hold of as, as you consider the vision related to, to practice and, the, and, the, and, and fulfilling it and as we see it rolled out over these, these years ahead. And these four key words, each of them start with a letter F to help you to remember them, are these. The first one is focus. So a couple of weeks ago we dealt with that and, and, and really it's about exalting God. It's about that, that we want to be for the, here for the glory of God. And so we talked about worship. The second key word is follow. And, and for, with that word, we're talking about discipleship, that we are to be followers of Jesus. And so if you were here last week, I preached a sermon that was about discipleship and specifically about, about the renewal of our minds, about the transformation of our minds as we study God's Word. And so we talked a good bit about Christian education. Today we're going to talk about, and this is the third key word, it is family. And so we're going to deal with fellowship. And what does that mean to, to be a church that really does embrace fellowship and community, the community of believers, and what should that look like? And then the fourth word that we're using is fruitful, and that word will be two sermons that I'll preach next week and then the following week, where we'll deal with service, and, I, and, and specifically, I want to I preach a sermon next week on evangelism, because when we talk about service, I want us to talk about outreach, and I want to talk about what that means for us to think about reaching out, so we're going to have a sermon next week on evangelism, and then the, fa- the final sermon of this series will be on, uh, on stewardship, how do we use our, our gifts uh, our time, our resources well. So those are the things that we are thinking about related to uh, the vision of our church. And so today uh, we're talking about what does it mean to be a family? What does that mean that Old Cutler is a family, that we are together and should have good fellowship one with another? And I think the passage, these two verses that are in Ephesians 4 are helpful in us considering this. So would you read with me verse 15, verse 16? Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And this is God's Word. A few of you may know the name Julian Dewin. Uh, she is a, a, an author, a journalist. She, she wrote for a time with Washington Times. She has uh, written a number of books, and she does her research on, a lot of her research on religious topics and on things that are going on in the life of the church. She has this book that I want to mention to you this morning, and you want to share a quote from it, called Quitting the Church. And it has this, this subtitle, Why the Faithful are Fleeing and What to Do About It, meaning believers. Why are people who believe in Christ, why are they walking away from the church and leaving the church? One of the chapters in that book is entitled, Searching for Community what we really wish church could be. Searching for community, 
what we really wish church could be. And in that chapter, she writes this. One of the top reasons people give for leaving church is loneliness. The feeling, especially in large congregations, that no one knows or cares whether they are there. Many churches have become like supermarkets or gas stations, totally depersonalized arenas where most people no longer feel a responsibility to be hospitable to the person standing next to them. Now, what she's describing is something that has happened in, in the contemporary church. And I think you see it, not in all, and I want to be careful here, but in, in some very, very large churches. And it's a particular model of the church. And note that she uses this language, that the church could be like a supermarket, that the church could be like a gas station. And what, what she's getting at is how we can create a model for the church, which I think is unbiblical, that is oriented around an individual consuming religious products. In other words, when people come to church, this is how they think, and a lot of people do this. They think, I'm going to church because this is the place where I will receive, I as an individual will receive particular religious goods. And so the way pastors will, and leaders in churches will oftentimes think and work, is that I can grow my church by being the best McDonald's or whatever. You get it? I, I do religious goods better than everybody else. And if I do the religious goods better than everybody else, then I'm going to have more people come because the way people's minds can be oriented in this regard is very consumeristic and very individualistic. And it, it happens to such an extent that there, there are these times, this is what she's touching on, and this is a sad thing that loneliness is one of the main reasons for leaving church, but she gives this example of you can be in church worshiping with other people all around you, and there is not even a sense of being hospitable towards the person standing right beside you. That is startling. And it's a long ways away from what God would want for his church. And it's a long ways away from what the community of the church is really to be about. Now, here at Oak Cutler, as we have thought about this, our vision and all these kind of things, we, we've also, and I mentioned this to you last week, we have a vision statement, which I read to you this morning, but then underneath that, we have a set of mission priorities. And what the mission priorities are about are, 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 are ways that we, as a local congregation, as a particular church, are attempting to fulfill that vision. And one of our mission priorities is this, is the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church of, of authentic community. That's what we want to be, an authentic community of grace. That's a great way to think about the church, that the church is an authentic community of grace. Now, with that, there are a couple of things we want you to consider as we, we seek to be this more and more and more. I'm not saying that we're not this in some way now, so don't misunderstand me. I'm saying that what I want us to see is this, this take hold more and more in the life of our church. And so think about these two things. It's a part of being an authentic community of grace. One, that we will be a church that fosters an honest and open community in the gospel where people can live lives of repentance and faith. That means that we, we need to think about churches as a place where people can really, they can be real, where people can, can, can deal with the things that they're struggling with so that the church isn't, isn't structured around being, being judgmental towards people in their weaknesses or gossiping about people when they've fallen or messed up, but that we are a place where we foster, we foster both repentance and faith. In other words, acknowledging struggles, acknowledging sin, and turning to Jesus. We want to be that kind of community. That's a community of grace, an authentic community of grace. But then with that, there's a second thing that I want us to consider under that mission priority. And this is the way, in, in some ways you could say, what kind of mechanism are you wanting to put in place? And that is this, that we want to be a church of small groups 
where people can grow in their relationships with one another for edification, encouragement, support, and care. Now, as we, as we roll that out, there's a, there's a few things that I want you to consider. I mean, Greg Foss is here. We, we introduced him at the beginning of the service. And through, through the remaining, remaining months of this year and then going into next year, he's going to be doing a couple of things with me, developing our small group philosophy, Secondly, helping to train and equip those existing, and identify, train and equip those existing groups that we do have, and then better promote those groups in the life of the church. But then in going into 2017, our goal is to start at least five new small groups at Old Cutler in 2017. And by 2020, we want to have at least 50 active small groups in this church with most people in this church involved in one way or another in a small group. Why? Well, because already, and we know this to be true, already our congregation is just it's too large for everybody to know everybody. We have two worship services, and we have people missing each other, going in and out all the time. We want you to have a group of people in the life of the church that you know and that they know you. Now, we can talk about small groups until we run out of breath, but if we don't get this whole idea of what is to undergird this ministry, what's to drive our hearts, what, what community is really all about, and what it means to put ourselves into community. If we don't get that, then, then our small groups will never become what we want them to become. And so, so as we look at this passage, these two verses, what I think these two verses do for us is they really do begin to help us as old Cutler to think through, well, what does this, what does this look like? What are some things that I need to know? What are some things that I need to have? What are some ways that this church needs to be, be thought of and things that need to be true here for, for this to become a part of the DNA of Old Cutler, for community to become a part of our DNA? And so as we look at these two verses, I think what, what Paul makes clear are these things. The Christian community will be formed when, when these things, these three things I'm going to mention to you, when these things become more and more true in our church. Number one, when honesty exists, Number two, when Christ reigns. And number three, when everyone contributes, okay? And in order to have real community, these things have to be there. There has to be honesty. There has to be the exaltation of Christ. He has to be preeminent here. And all of us have to be a part of this. All of us have to be a part of it. Now, let's start with honesty. Honesty. That honesty needs to exist in the life of a church that really is building community. I, I, if, if you watch television, I can imagine you've probably seen this, this commercial or, or one of, of a series of these commercials that I'm going to mention. It comes from this uh, city, city double cash cards. And they have this little tagline or this little theme that they use to, to, to get at their point. And it's this, wouldn't it be great if everyone said what they mean? Have you guys seen those commercials? All right, here, here's, here's one of them. Watch this. So, so these commercials, they're, they, they're humorous. They catch us and they grab our attention. And part of the reason they, I think they do that is because they, they are playing off of something that we know is true. They're playing off of something that is in all of us in some ways where we, we obscure truth, where we, we hide the truth, where we don't actually say what we're really thinking or say what we really mean. And we do it all the time. I think we, we do it you know, out there in the world. and I think we do it in the church. 
And I think there's reasons why we do this. You know, one of the reasons I think we do this is for personal gain and advantage. I mean, you think about advertising as part of what, you know, what's going on. They're trying to, to get you to, to buy something you probably don't need, right? Absolutely probably don't need it, but you're going to want to get you to buy it. So they're not going to tell you, you don't need this. They're going to say, you really need this, right? That's just one of the reasons. But another reason we do this is because we are, are desiring to protect ourselves, right? We're desiring to protect ourselves. And, and if you think about the whole idea of being honest and really being open and honest with what's going on in ourselves, it, it's a sad thing to say that oftentimes that's something we cannot really be in the church. Many of you may know the name Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb was a psychologist, is a psychologist and a, a Christian writer, and, and he's written a number of books on the church. One of them is called, the, and it's about the church, it's called The Safest Place on Earth. That's an interesting way to think about the church. How, I mean, I've got to ask you to put your hands up. But how, just think about it. How many of you, as you've thought about the local, whether it's this congregation, congregations you've been in, in the past, how many of you could actually raise your hands and say, I believe that was the safest place on earth, being with a, a group of, of believers in, in the church of the living God? I, I think we struggle with this. I think we struggle with, with this, this sense of being safe and being okay and and I think because of that, we struggle with, with really being honest about the things that are going on in our lives. And so we put on the front, the Christian front, where we tell everybody we're okay and, and, and everything's all right. And then when we, you know, we kind of have that, that certain number of messed up things you can talk about with other people, but not too many. You know, you got to lie, right? You say there's so many things. and you, get, you go with this lie, you go freak somebody out so you can say something else to somebody. So you say all of those things are appropriate. Everybody goes, yeah, I agree with that. You, know? and you say that other thing, whoo, man, you got a mess on your hands, right? I mean, it's just, it's just the way it can be in church. And it can happen like that all the time. But what I want us to understand is this, that un- until we really do get to points in the church, and this is all progression, it's all about our sanctification, it's all about taking some incredible risk from all of us, but until we do get in a place where we can start, at least with some, not with everybody, because all of us are at different places in Christian maturity, but at least with some people in the life of the church, at least with a small group of people, to actually say what's going on in your life, what's happening, until we get there, I just don't know if we're ever going to get to this point of growth and maturity that we are called to be at. You know, if you think about this passage for a moment, what this passage actually is talking about is how, how truthfulness is a part of this. So if you notice in the first part of verse 15, Paul writes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him in every way. Now, we're to grow up in who? In Jesus. This is, this is, this is discipleship. If you were here last week, I used this verse last week because I wanted to make sure that we understood when we're talking about discipleship and Christian formation or spiritual maturity, that we're not simply talking about learning more. That's a part of it. That we have, to, we have to have our minds transformed. We have to study. We have to have good preaching and good teaching. We need those things to grow. But with this verse, and it's the reason I referenced it last week, is because what this verse is talking about is how we are bound together and how we absolutely need relationships with one another. We absolutely need community in order to grow and mature. So what Paul is saying is, all right, we grow up into Jesus. We grow up into Jesus, but how do we grow up into him? He says, by speaking the truth in love. By speaking the truth in love. Now, let let me tell you what this is actually saying, literally, more literally. A more literal translation of this isn't speaking the truth in love. It is truthing, T R U T H I N G truthing in love. That's a more literal translation of it. 
So we within the church of God are called to truth in love. Okay. Now, the reason the English versions don't use this, the English standard versions don't use this as the translation, well, one is obvious because that ain't no English word, right? <laughs> like truthing. You're about to say, I'm truthing it. People are going to be like, what? Right. Like, Spell that for me. That's why I spelled it. Right? So you guys knew what I was saying because it's like, truthing, what kind of word is that? It's not good English. So speaking the truth, all right, that's, and it, it communicates in part rightly. Because if you think about what Paul says in verse 14, he makes this statement about there being all these winds of doctrine, false doctrine, and human cunning, and craftiness, and deceitful schemes. He's talking about the lies of false doctrine. He's talking about the lies of the evil one. He's talking about communicating heresy, all those kind of things. And to that, against that, against all the false doctrines of the world, what are we called to do? We're called to speak truth against that, right? Okay. But Ephesians 4, and to be honest with you, all of Ephesians, it's about body life. It's about our relationships. It's about community. It's about the unity of the body of believers. And so when we talk about truthing in love, yeah, speaking truth matters. But there are other things that matter when it comes to truthing. Things like, like this, that loving truth needs to matter to us. That maintaining truth should matter to us. Valuing truth. Belonging in truth. Doing truth. Being truthful. That all of those things. Paul is saying that life in the body of Christ is about truthing in every way. Truthing towards one another. Now, that means... We want the truth of God's word. Absolutely need it. But it also means that we should want to be truthful about where we really are. Truthful about ourselves. Truthful about our walk. Truthful about our struggles. Truthful about our weaknesses. Truthful about our sin. In other words, or if I would use another word, the church should be a place where we really can be vulnerable. Church should be that. It should be a place of vulnerability. Now, part of the concern, obviously, is, is what? It's like, what in the world is going to happen if I, if I do this? Well, I, I would say this to you, that if we could do this in a, in a healthy environment, if we could do this in a place where all of us together are beginning to understand more and more what does it mean that I... I actually let people in a little bit, and, and you let me in, all that kind of stuff goes back and forth, I think the church will find healing and growth. I'll give you an, a biblical example of that. And the most in, intriguing and yet unheeded verses in the Bible, I think, is James chapter 5, verse 16, where James writes this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. All three parts of that verse are tied together. Confessing your sins to one another, praying for one another, and you will be healed. All of it. Not, not just pray for each other, but confessing sins. And we, we struggle with that all the time. And I know why. Here's why. We are not ever going to have a culture of honesty if we don't at the same time have a culture of love. And that's why Paul says, truth it, truth it in love. 
And the only way I know to get there, and I think this is the only way to get there, is by continually reminding ourselves of what the gospel teaches us. By continually reminding ourselves that the gospel says this to us. It says, on the one hand, and I'll just be blood. It says, Mike Campbell and every last one of you sitting here today, you are a mess. And you need a savior. All along the way, you need a savior. And so you never do get to that place, which some of us think we do, where you could put yourself in a judgmental posture towards somebody else that's messed up. I would be careful, honestly. I'd be careful ever even saying, I'd never do that. I'd be careful, guys. <laughs> it's like, I'd never do that. Next thing you know, you're doing it. You'd <laughs> be careful, right? But it's that sense in which you, you, you think you got it all together and you can somehow look down on someone else. Well, that's not the gospel. It's not believing the gospel. But in addition to that, let's go, let's take it to, to, to sort of flip it a little bit and turn to the other side and say this, what the gospel reminds us of. Because of Jesus, it reminds us of how much we are accepted and valued and loved by God because of Christ. Jack Miller, some of you may know the name, Jack Miller founded a number of New Life Churches, Sonship Program, all of that kind of stuff. You may not know Jack Miller, you may not have heard this from Jack, but this is where Tim Keller got this from, and you may have heard it from Tim Keller. Keller, when he talks about the gospel, he says, he'll say this, and this is where he got, he got it from Jack Miller, this, that we are far more, listen to this, we are far more sinful than we would ever think and far more loved than we could ever imagine. That's it. Far more sinful than we would be willing to think. Far more loved by God than we would ever imagine. It's pressing into those things, believing those things, believing them in the moment. Those are the things that allow us to have enough sense of ourselves to, to begin to move towards one another in honesty. So that's the first thing. Second thing is we have to be a church where Christ reigns. That's the second thing, where Christ reigns. Now, and that means that, that we are, are really getting that this is about him and, and not about us. That, that church is really about Jesus. That he's the one who rules this place and not any one of us, not any one of us. And so if you notice the way verse 15, it continues on. He says, we are to grow up in him in every way into him who is. And he, then he goes on to say, he is what? He is head, into the head into Christ. Christ is, is our head. He is, he is the head. He's not, he's not the hands. He's not the feet. He's the head. He's at the top. He, he rules. He reigns. He, he directs. He controls. You know, within, within our tradition, the Presbyterian Church in America, one of our preliminary principles, and, and this, is, this is interesting, and this is one of the things I love. There, there, there are a few things about being in this denomination that I just like go, man, really nailed it right there. And one of them is this preliminary principle, which is the preliminary principle which which structures all of Presbyterian leadership in terms of how we think about me, how we think about elders, how we think about deacons, how we think about our roles in the life of the church. And it's this. It's that Jesus and Jesus alone is the king and the head of his church. Jesus alone is the king and the head of his church. Which means this, that he is active and on duty right now. That he's not on vacation. That he's not asleep. That he didn't give that responsibility over to me. That, well, I could come and tell you, Jesus is taking a nap. I'm the king now, right? There's something like that. It's just not a biblical model of the church. Now, there are, there's leadership in the church, 
But the way we need to think of ourselves as leadership in the church is under shepherds of the, of the good and great shepherd and servants of the great deacon Jesus, that we are, we are here to serve Jesus. And so all leadership in God's church that is honoring to him is leadership that is oriented around the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, because King Jesus reigns. Now here's the problem. There are a lot of guys that are in my position. There are a lot of folks in church who will give lip service to that. Yeah, Jesus is king. This is my church, though. Right? Or some of us who are here are going, yeah, Jesus is king, but this is my ministry. <laughs> and here's what happens when we are there. When Jesus isn't everything, when Jesus isn't exalted, when Jesus isn't king, and we sort of step on that throne a little bit, that instead of there being a culture that's created in the life of the church, and this is what we want, this is what we must have, a culture in the life of the church where there is inclusion, where there is acceptance, where there is a place for people who know Jesus to come in, where there is a real belonging so people can come and find a home and fit into the life of the church. If the only way that's going to happen is when Jesus is reigning and when you are on that throne instead, here's what will happen. You will see a culture in the life of the church that is wholly oriented around conforming people, bullying people, and making people afraid so that they can line up with what your agenda is. And we will never have the kind of community we want to have. We'll never have it. There's an interesting book written from... Um, it's this New Testament scholar named Scott McKnight called Community of Atonement. And in that book, what he, what he really is talking about is how in the, in the atoning work of Christ, and this is what Ephesians is about, God has made us, he's made us a body. He's made us to come together. He's made us a community. Jesus has done that. In my office, there is a, I have a charcoal sketch. And if you come in my office, I can show it to you. And it's a charcoal sketch, really sort of a rendition of the book of Ephesians or a rendition of Ephesians chapter 2 where we see Jew and Gentile come together as one because of the blood of Jesus. And it's an interesting picture because it shows these people with all these different shades of, uh, these different hands with these different shades of color, hue and all that, and just different colors of people. And their hands all sort of form together in the cross because that's, the cross is what brings us together. The cross is what makes us one. And that's something that we have the atonement of Christ has given us a gift that I am, because I am a son of God and, and you are son or daughter of God, that means we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now the question is, okay, we have this gift. Are we going to live it out? And the only way that we will live it out is by Jesus being supreme. So notice the text again. So he talks about how we we are to grow up into him. We grow up into the head. It's verse 15, into verse 15. But then look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. See, he, when he is head, then we begin to find our, our appropriate place. And what I, I think is true is this. That when Jesus really is the one that we are exalting, when Jesus really is reigning in our heart and life, Jesus really is the one who's structured the way that we think about everything, and especially the way we think about everything old Cutler. When it's Jesus and not me, then I think what that deals with is the thing that keeps us apart, which is our egos. Making it about me or you. 
When in fact, it really is about him. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul gives us this wondrous picture of Jesus and he, how he didn't see glory as something to grasp, but he took on flesh, he became a servant. And in the context of that, he's telling us that we need to take on that mind of Christ. And one of the lessons that we learn from that, when Jesus begins to reign, is that the interest of the person around us begins to become more important than your own selfish interest. That's community. And then that leads to the last thing that I want to share with you. And that is this idea that it's going to happen when everybody contributes. When honesty exists, when Christ reigns, then thirdly, when everyone contributes. Or to make it simple, I could say it like this. Old Cutler Presbyterian Church needs you, believer in Christ, member of Old Cutler Presbyterian Church. And you, believer in Christ, sitting here today, you need us. You need us. Okay? And there, there's something that happens when we don't, we don't press into this, or we don't, we don't live in those kind of relationships. Gordon, Gordon T. Smith is a, a theologian. He was connected to Regent College up in Vancouver, and he made this statement. This is a powerful statement about community, because, and I think it is true. I think it fits what the, the, the flow of biblical theology is all about. That without, You think about Adam and Eve. You think about the, the part of the creation account that, where, where God said this is not good, and that was not having someone like him, a helpmate, not having Eve. Look at this statement. Without community, we remain fundamentally alone, one-dimensional, and disconnected, not only from others, but from ourselves and from God. That without community, we cannot know God the way we could know God. And without community, we cannot, hear me, we cannot know ourselves the way we could. There is no way that I would have been able to know the depth of my stupidity outside of my wife. And if she, were, if, if she were real talkative, she'd say, you're right, brother. <laughs> I mean, but just think about that. Use that as a little, as a little example, the Petri dish that happens of, of putting a man and a woman together for life. And all the things, not only that you can give to bless the other, but all the things you learn about yourself because you're in that setting. That's church, too. We're just a bigger thing. The ways that we now, because of the, the rubbing up against each other and the pricking on each other and the iron sharpening iron of each other, the things that we learn, the, the, the things that we can see that are good, the things we can learn that are weaknesses that we need to work on, all of this is necessary and all of us have a part in it. In fact, if you look at the end of verse 16, he says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each part each part, you, me, all of us, each part together for this. And we're building the body up and building the body up in love. Brian Chapel, who's the president of the seminary I went to when, when I was there, he, um, he has a commentary on Ephesians, and he makes a statement about this verse that, that's helpful. And I think it's a different, here, here's, here's the model. If you, if you think of it like this, he didn't say all this, but here's, if you think of the model I started with, was sort of this individual consumeristic model of church. You come to take something. 
That's it. Now, you will be blessed by the church. You always are when, when you give yourself. But here's what Chapel says. That what, what Paul is getting at is that each and every one of us, instead of being just consumers, we are instead to think of ourselves as contributors. That we are love contributors. <laughs> think about that. When you walk in the doors of the church, of course you're here to meet God. Of course you're here to be blessed. But you're also here, you walk in the doors of the church and you're saying to yourself, I'm in this place today because I'm going to give some love to somebody. I'm going to pour some love out on somebody that's here today. <laughs> Just think about how different church would feel. Then you walk in and find your place and get up and leave and don't even say hi to anybody. <laughs> but in the world, how in the world can we be there as a church at times? It's not what we are called to be. I want to end with this. Gallup did this poll, and it's, it's an interesting poll, and he's looking at, at some reasons why people were struggling with church and things they thought they needed in the church that they weren't getting in the church. And, and I do want to, I want to be a little careful here. I mean, not everything we think we need, we need. And there are things we think we need that will do us harm if we do those things. So, so be real careful. But I think these things are helpful because they do, I think they point at what the church can give us, what the church can offer if we really are pressing towards authentic community. So here they are, six things. One, to believe that life is meaningful and has a purpose. I mean, that's one of the things that I think happens in the life of a good church. Two, to have a sense of community and deeper relationships. Three, to, to be appreciated and respected. Four, to be listened to and heard. Five, to grow in faith. And six, to receive practical help in developing a mature faith. The church needs to be about those things. Old Cutler Presbyterian Church should be about those things. And that's what we want as we move towards more relationships, more small groups in the life of the church. We want authentic community. Amen? Let's pray.